Well, it's nice to be here. We always try and come up every kind of five or six weeks and uh, really enjoy it here. So it's very nice to be here again. And we're all here, actually, every single one of us from the family, because it's Carolyn's birthday tomorrow. So um, I think there's a table at the back for a present, which I'm, I'm sure everybody's bought that, which is good. Um, <laughs> Hi, Carolyn. Didn't say anything about you. Great. Well, um, yeah, it's really great to be able to come and share with you today. And as Richard mentioned, uh, he asked me to speak because of my connection with CAP. Uh, so just to explain what that is, I've been working with CAP for uh, 10 years now, actually. It'll be 10 years in September since I first started working with CAP um, back in September 06, uh, starting out as a youth, uh, I used to be a youth worker. I came in to start doing debt counseling with people, doing home visits, helping people who were really struggling with their debts, helping them get a plan together and see them become debt-free. Even this last couple of weeks, I've had two people become debt-free that I've worked with over the years. And every time that happens, it's a real celebration for us, uh, which is really good news. And uh, CAP, incredible organisation, actually. Nationally, they now have a network of uh, around about 300 centres, every single one connected to a local church, because they see the best way to impact a local community is through a local church. They could have just set up centres and employed people, but they said, no, the local church has got the solutions uh, to the community problems, which I think is an amazing uh, way to do mission in this country. And over the years, they've spread now, so they, they don't just do debt advice. They've, uh, they launched into doing cap money budgeting courses, which as I know is the thing that you guys are running here, which is incredible. And I, I can't even count how many uh, money courses they do over the country. It's thousands but they also have two new projects they've done over the last couple of years. One is called the CAP Job Clubs, where they are seeing people who have been out of work, helping them back into employment. We've been running one of those in Lincoln for the last couple of years, and we've seen people who've been out of work for six, seven years, n- no hope in their own minds of ever getting a job again, but getting that job, uh, full-time employment, holding those jobs, keeping them down. So another great example of what CAP is doing. And more recently, they've launched something called CAP Release Groups, which is a way of helping people who are struggling with life-controlling habits. So that could be any kind of addiction. It could be smoking or drinking. It could even be playing on your phone too much. Uh, so I imagine most of our church will get signed up to that back in Lincoln because that's all they do during the preach. It's not quite true. Just, just a few. Um, but it's going very well. They had the, they had the first couple of sessions and already they're seeing people... Um, really making some big changes in their life. So that's a bit about them. So over the last 10 years for me, I've got involved in a lot more stuff, helping to oversee new projects. Um, we have a great furniture project, helping people uh, who've got nothing, no, no furniture in their home. Perhaps they've come out of uh, difficult situations. The council's given them somewhere, but they've got kids sleeping on the floor, and we can help with that. And we're getting guys who are out of work to run that project. So we're giving them skills. We're helping them to become more employable. It's, it's really good, and I think for me, I've really enjoyed the last 10 years seeing how that's growing, and the model we have in Lincoln is now being used in several cities around the UK too. And um, for me, it all comes down to the fact that it is the local church that is bringing the solution, because we really care about people. It's not just about doing a great job, it's not just about ticking a few boxes or pleasing funders, but our motivation is because we believe we're called by God. To, to serve the poor and to heal the broken. So today's talk, I've called it Avoiding the Poverty Box. 
And that isn't tips on how to avoid the collection basket as it goes around. (laughs) Hopefully you'll understand what I mean. Um, But one of the other things that I do outside of work, or I shouldn't say I do, but I attempt to do, is more recently, uh, we bought a new house in October, and we've been thrust into the new world of gardening, which really isn't our forte. Um, When we bought it, it was under the instructions that the garden was my domain. That was the instructions from Katie. Um, And we bought a house with a bit of a big garden, and... I, I, my, my most recurrent dream at the moment is pulling up weeds. That's all I see when I close my eyes and go to bed. So I'm not doing a very good job of it. And it feels like the garden is winning most of the time because it just seems to grow however it likes. And I was thinking about what I would like to have in the garden, what I'd like it to look like. And as I was doing a bit of research, I came across some rather interesting looking shaped trees. So here we've got one. Quite incredible. Can you, can you see that? Um, I'm assuming it didn't grow that way. Someone's helped it along the way. But that's pretty impressive. Uh, Honestly, I don't know. Probably it's six or seven trees that have been woven together. But I like that one. That's a good one, isn't it? Someone's had a lot of fun making that. Apparently there's a whole field. You can kind of just see it in the background. There's a few others like it. That's what happens if you cut through your hedge cutter cable and it isn't earth-popping. Yes, very true. (laughs) Okay, what about this one? Yeah, I quite like that. <laughs> it's a bit spooky. You'd be a bit, be a bit surprised if you walked through the woods and came across that. Uh, and my personal favourite <laughs> is that one. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, we we don't do that one. Okay, so uh, yeah, trees and their shapes. Uh, have a look at this tree. How do you think this tree got the shape that it's got? The wind? Okay. Hasn't been supported, so it's kind of leaning, isn't it, a little bit? Yeah, it's not grown up straight. An elephant pushed it, quite possibly, yeah. Yeah, in a field in England. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but possible, possible. Okay. Um, Maybe the ground is not secure, yeah. So there's a wall past it, isn't it? Maybe something was disrupted. Yeah. What else might have affected the way that tree looks or the shape that tree has? The weather. The weather? Yeah. Water, yeah. How much water? What else? Sun. Sun, yeah. What about what the seed that it came from? So uh, an oak looks different from a pine tree. Yeah, perhaps if someone's cared for it over the years and pruned it or chopped branches, maybe even with the birds being in it, the season makes it look different. So whether it's in the middle of summer or it's the middle of winter, it's going to have a different shape. It's going to look different. Yeah. So looking at a tree, there's, there's so many different ways that a tree might have the shape that it has. So many different factors that cause it to look like it is. Is that anything? Do we need? It's not far along. Um. Okay, so let's think about ourselves for a moment. What makes us, I was going to say the shape we are, but what makes us the way we are, our attitudes, our behaviours, our culture, what, what might impact on that? Life experiences, Life experiences yeah. Family. family, yeah. So your family upbringing can have an impact on who you are, what you believe. Your own experiences can have an impact on 
who you are and what you believe? Values. Values, things that you think are important, things you might pursue or, or leave. Yep, the country you grew up in. Genes. Yep. So many different things. Mistakes you've made, choices you've made, successes you've had. There's so many different things, isn't there, that kind of make who we are today. The way I am today is probably a mix of a, a whole range of different things that have happened in my life. Things that I've done myself, experiences I've had, people that I've had around me, who've had influence on me, from my family to my friends. So many different things can affect the way we are today. Uh, so we're a little bit like that tree, really, aren't we? There's so many different reasons why each one of us is the way we are today. And on Friday, I was being interviewed by um, BBC Radio Lincolnshire about the cap release group that we had just started. And the presenter said to me, well, what causes these people to have these problems? As if I could just give one answer that explains why all these people that we're trying to help through release groups have the problem that they have. But the reality is that there are so many different reasons why people find themselves in the situation that they're in. Is it because of their family? Was it because of a mistake they made? Or was it because of the influence of a friend? Was it because of a choice that they've made? Or a place that they grew up in? Or an opp- opportunities that they had or didn't have? There's so many different things. So it was an impossible question to answer. Because what he wanted me to do was put people into some kind of poverty box which says, this is what people with addictions are like. This is who they are. And you see poverty boxes like that everywhere. Who are the people who use food banks? Well, we can put them in a box because these are a certain type of people. Or who are the people in debt? Well, we'll put them in this box over here because they're obviously this kind of person. And we start to... uh, The the best way I can think of it is we, we, we run the risk of making up people's backstories. So I meet someone for the first time and I think, well, because you've come into a food bank and you need to use a food parcel, in my head, I am making up your backstory. I'm, I'm in my own mind trying to understand the reasons why you've got to this point. And that's a dangerous place to be because um, we start to perhaps misunderstand the support that somebody really needs because we're only focusing on that immediate need that's in front of us, that presented need that's in front of us. I mean, does it really help to understand where people are coming from and why they have the, the issues that they have? Can't we just take people at face value? I think it's really important to try and understand uh, people for who they are and their own individual circumstances rather than painting them or tarnishing with, them with the, the food bank brush or the cat brush or whatever it might be. And the reason I think that is because, and this is quite a buzzword for churches these days, but it's thinking about someone as a whole person and how we support them holistically. And what do, what do we mean by holistically? So helping someone and supporting someone holistically really is all about the whole. It's about the whole person. It's about uh, their material needs. It's about their personal needs, their spiritual needs. And it's about thinking a little bit deeper than what it is you've just seen or what you've just encountered. And you can't do that. You can't understand and support someone holistically without getting to know somebody and walking the journey with them and having some kind of relationship or friendship with them. We talk about the whole gospel for the whole person. Well, what do we mean by that? What is the whole gospel? Is the gospel just about me being saved from my sins? 
Can't it also be about me being saved from the issues that I'm facing even today in my life? From health, from finance, from material needs, from relationship needs. Can't we think about that? Is is the whole gospel not about every area of our life? Surely Jesus came to set us free from all that. And I think Jesus really understood this because there's a fantastic uh, miracle that takes place in the Bible, which... um, we all know, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's the parable of the, the person who was um, uh, paralyzed, was healed. It says here in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. When he had come back to Capernaum, that's Jesus, several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the words to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. <clears throat> Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they, had, when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Which I think is fascinating because he didn't say, Son, your body is healed, which was the presented need, wasn't it? He was brought by his friends. He clearly had this issue that everybody could see quite publicly because they'd knocked a hole through the roof and dropped him through it. You couldn't miss the fact that this was a guy who needed physical healing because he couldn't walk. Yet the first thing that Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus' gospel, the good news of Jesus, is a holistic gospel. And Jesus understood that that need that we often bring to him as our presented need is not our only need. He understands that, that we have so, there's so much to who we are and the healing that he wants to bring to us is not just about our bodies, it's not just about um, our relationships, it's about everything. It's about our relationship with him, it's about the healing of our souls as well. And so we read this and we think, Jesus understood it. He understood what it meant to love people holistically. And for me, doing the work that I do and the work that we do as churches, it just helps me to understand that when I'm reaching out to somebody who's broken, when I'm trying to connect with somebody who's stepped through the door, who's saying, this is my need, for me it's like trying to realise that There's so much more than what I'm seeing here right now. And this is an actual person who Jesus loves. And we've got to start to peel back those layers. And if we truly want to help someone set them free, it's about how we support them holistically as a whole person. I um, have a... There's a book that I really love, which I've been reading a lot and studying a lot of work, which is called When Helping Hurts. I know Angie's been reading it recently because she told me this morning. And... It's a fantastic book because it helps us to understand um, how sometimes when we're trying to help people, we can actually cause hurt if we just go into it blindly without really thinking about what we're doing. We can cause hurt to them, but we can also cause hurt to ourselves. And there's a really fantastic part in this book where it helps us to understand exactly what poverty is. Because many of us have different ideas about what that means. When I talk about poverty, you might have an image in your mind about what that is. About If I was to say somebody who is in poverty, we might have like a, an idea or a picture in mind of what that looks like. But in this book, uh, which is written by a guy called um, 
Brian Fickett and Steve Corbett. He talks about poverty not in terms of something that we don't have, but in terms of relationships that are broken in our lives. And he identifies that in our lives there are four relationships or key relationships that each one of us is supposed to have. Four relationships that God intended and created us to have. And those four relationships are first of all our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our friends and those around us, our community, our relationship with ourself and our relationship with the earth. So the world that we live in, the material world around us. And when we talk about poverty, what we're really talking about is when one or any of those relationships is broken. When one of those relationships in our lives is broken, that is a form of poverty. And that's really easy to imagine what it's like when we talk about our relationship with the earth. Because if that relationship is broken and we don't have access to those things that we need in our life, that's a very obvious form of poverty. If my relationship with the earth, with the world around me is broken, I don't have access to enough food, that looks like hunger. If I don't have access to enough money for my day-to-day life, that looks like debt. It looks like financial difficulties. If I don't have a home to live in, that looks like homelessness. So it's very easy to understand (coughs) what poverty is when we look at... um, our relationship with the earth. But then we start to think about these other relationships too. What does it look like when those other relationships are broken? What is it... Thank you, Richard. What does it look like if our relationship with other people is broken? Well, that can look like loneliness. When we see uh, fragmented communities or people living on their own, that looks like isolation. People feel like they're not included People feeling left out. Um, I was hearing the other day in Lincoln, we have uh, a large Polish community, and they're saying one of the biggest problems they have is there's so many single guys, and they all live in one-bed bedsits, and they have no community. They, they're on their own. And it's a real need in Lincoln. And this, this whole idea that the relationship with other people is broken is such uh, an incredible form of poverty, and one that we can't ignore. But then, of course, we look to the other ones, our relationship with ourselves. And what does it look like? And what does it mean if that relationship is broken? And I think that, for me, that talks about how we view ourselves, our self-worth, how we feel about ourselves, how we feel other people look at us, and what that does to us inside about how we feel about ourselves. And when that relationship is broken, this is when we see issues of low self-worth, low self-esteem, And we hear stories of self-harm, even suicide. Because people have lost that relationship with themselves. It's become broken. And they don't feel that they have that worth anymore. And that for me is an incredible form of poverty as well. And of course, our relationship with God. And if that relationship is broken, as Christians we can all recognise that that is a very deep form of poverty. This disconnect to the God who made us and who loves us. And that's a a real form of spiritual poverty where we lose this sense of purpose or we we can't understand why are we here and that question becomes a difficult one to answer because that relationship with God is broken. And what this all means is that when we're approaching people or when people approach us and we're talking about issues of poverty that we see, what it means for me is we've got to think about 
um, supporting that person in terms of restored relationships. Um, at the Bible school that Richard does, uh, a couple of sessions ago, he was talking about redemption. And there's um, a guy called Newbegin, is it? Leslie Newbegin, who was talking about different kinds of redemption. And independent from this other book, he was talking about redemption. Um, the, God's redempt, redemptive mission is to restore our relationships. And he identified our relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world around us, with our community and with the earth, restoration of the whole earth. And I find that fascinating because for me, it shows that when we talk about fighting poverty, what we're actually talking about is bringing God's redemptive plan into the, into the world. And we are playing our part in God's redemptive plan. We are helping people to find redemption because we are reconnecting them to their communities. We are playing our part in God's plan for redemption because we are helping people to learn how to love themselves again. We're, fight, we're bringing God's plan for redemption when we feed the hungry and when we clothe the clothless and when we give people somewhere to live and put furniture back in their home. We're actually part of God's redemptive plan. And when we speak out the name of Jesus and tell people about the truth of God, we are part of God's redemptive plan because we are restoring their relationship to him. And I think that's absolutely incredible. John 10 verse 10 says, The thief has come to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life in all its fullness. And this incredible redemptive mission of Jesus that we can share in means that we have come to work with Jesus to bring life in all of its fullness um, to people who are hurting and who are broken. We're not just helping people to sort their finances out, but we're helping people to be reconnected with God, to, re- to understand that they have self-worth and to connect them back into a community. And that's where I think the church is really excellently placed because that's something that I think we do really well. You can't do any of this if you don't genuinely care for people and you genuinely have a love for people, uh, which is what the church is so good at doing. We, we are geared up to welcome people and to walk the journey with people and to build relationship with people. When we say we want to befriend somebody, it's not uh, a kind of secular version of befriending where we have our half an hour booked in at 10am on a Tuesday and we'll go and meet them and it's gone. But we actually genuinely open ourselves up as a community and welcome people in. And we say we want, to be, we want you to be our friend. We want you to feel like you belong. And that is why I think the church is great. And I know here at Beverly you have some fantastic projects. You have obviously Cat Money, which is amazing, but you have your Restoration Centre, you have Street Angels and a, and a bunch of others. And I just think... Isn't this a great way that as a church, you're not just fighting poverty in terms of these kind of material needs, but you're actually helping to bring God's restoration plan back into Beverly, and you're bringing God's plan for redemption back into the broken lives of people around us. And all of this for me uh, teaches me three important lessons, which I think are the things that I hope you'll take from today. Three important lessons to do with um, the way we view other people and the way we, we relate with other people. And the first one of those is to understand that everyone needs a saviour, including us. That everyone is broken. When I was talking about those four areas of poverty, I'm not just talking about somebody else who's outside of this church right now. I'm actually talking about every single one of us here. 
every single person in this room. We're all, if we're honest, facing some kind of poverty in our lives. Because I think if if we were to ask ourselves the question honestly, do you feel like all of those four relationships in your life at this very moment is where you want it to be? I think probably all of us would answer no in some capacity. Do we all feel like we have the relationship with God that we want? Do we all feel like we have the relationship with our community and the friends and family that we want? Do we all feel like we have the relationship with ourselves that we want? And, or, and perhaps there's even some of us struggling here today with real material needs as well. And it's so important that the starting point for any of this is that we recognise in ourselves that we ourselves are broken in some way. And when we can do that, when we can break down that barrier that we might put up between us, ourselves and others, it helps us to, to truly journey with people because I recognise that I'm broken just as much as the next person is. That when I go into someone's home who's rung up because they need debt advice, I'm, I'm recognising that I too am a broken person just as they are. And I can break down that barrier. The second lesson, which is uh, a great point is this idea that we should ditch the God complex. And what I mean by that is that when I'm working with somebody, or when we meet with somebody, or where we uh, become connected with someone, it's not me with all my answers, and I'm going to fix you with all your problems, because I've gone through my training, and I know how to do it, and I wear the badge, and I've got the jacket, and I've got you know, everything else, and the, the radio, whatever it might be. It's not me with my problems, uh, sorry, (laughs) me with my answers and you with your problems. Um, But really, it's about empowering people and not fixing them. You know, Jesus didn't just come to fix people's problem, but he came to empower them. And I think that is an important mission for the church as well, that we are here as empowerers and not fixers. We're there to help people realise that they have it within themselves to overcome the things that they are facing in their lives. Which is the same for each one of us here. You come to church and you relate with each other so that you can be empowered in your own circumstances. We haven't just come because Richard and Carolyn are going to fix your problems or because Richard and Carolyn are going to fix those things. But actually we come here to be empowered. And we come here because that power in us is the power of God. And the third important lesson is that it's all about people and not process and I think this is important because we can sometimes strategize and plan this is how we support someone out of their need but if we can't have a starting point of uh, actually I want to just build a relationship with this person and I want to be a friend to this person first then we'll probably never succeed or we might get so far and then our journeys will end and if we truly want to journey with people on that long journey and support people on that long journey. It's all about people and not process. It's all about uh, relationship and having a meaningful relationship with other people. So we think about a tree and we think, you know, what has made it that way? And we understand for ourselves that there's so many complex reasons why each one of us might have the values or the behaviour or the culture that we have. And it leads us through this journey of realising that actually... There's so much more to us. There's this whole whole picture about who we are. And it's all about the relationships that God meant for us to have. And it's all about us recognising that we ourselves are broken. That we're here to empower people not to fix them. And that we're here to build 
meaningful and lasting relationships with people. And what I think would be really nice to do, a really good thing to do, is I know there's quite a lot of people here who are involved in one of your church ministries or outreach projects, whether that's uh, your CAP project or Street Angels or Restoration Centre, whatever it is. And I think what might be a really good thing to do is, if you are involved in those, maybe if you just stand or, or put your hand up where you are, and why don't we just, um, pr- if, you're, if that's someone near you, just, let's just gather around and let's pray for those people. Um, and let's just have a few moments where we're just praying for God's power to be upon them, that as they meet with people, um, they will be part of that restoration plan, that restoration mission of God. So if you're involved in one of those projects, whether it's Straight Angels or whatever, why don't you just stand to your feet? Fantastic. So if you're around one of those people, why don't you just gather around? And, uh, or if that means get out your seats, let's just gather around each other and pray for these people. That as they go out and as they minister people on the streets or in this town, there's a real sense of being part of that mission plan, that redemptive mission plan uh, in, this, in this town, Beverly. Okay, let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the great privilege and honour it is to be part of a community that loves you. Thank you for the privilege and the honour it is to be part of your plan, that every day when we wake up, we, we can have an opportunity to not just do our own agenda for each day, but to live out your plan for our lives. And I just thank you, God, for the great work that happens from this church into this town, reaching out to people who have broken lives. And I thank you, God, that we have an opportunity to build meaningful relationships with these people. We have an opportunity to show your love in a true, meaningful way, that we can bring the whole gospel for the whole person. And I pray, God, that your anointing will rest upon each of those we're praying for here today. But beyond that as well, God, we recognise that each one of us, whether we're part of a social action project or not, we actually, all of us, have a part to play in your redemptive plan. Because each one of us has our own community of friends, work colleagues, school friends, whoever it is, God, we're all part of that mission. I pray your help us, God, to to take every opportunity to recognise that we can help where we see brokenness, that we can walk alongside, that we can help to empower people. We pray, God, for this town, that the brokenness that is here in different people's lives, that your healing power will be known and be present in their homes, in their families. And we just pray, God, for the healing of this town. And may that start with us too here, God. We'll know what it is to be healed by you in every sense of that word. And we thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.